Ever wonder the true power of sports? Well, you come to the right place. Welcome to the Sports for Social Impact podcast. I'm David Thibodeau, and I believe that by exploring the intersection between sport and society, we can better leverage the sport industry for maximum impact. We explore what sports true power is to understand the impacts on and the impacts of sports on society. Join me as we learn how sports can influence important policy areas such as the environment, transportation, education, and so much more. Dr. Louise Delanois completed her PhD at Queen's University in 2019 in clinical exercise physiology. Her interest in population health and knowledge translation led her to join the Healthy Active Living and Obesity Research Team at the CHEO Research Institute in 2020, where she first became involved in Outdoor Play Canada while resided within this research institute, growing with it as it became a not-for-profit organization. Outdoor Play Canada serves to build and support the growing network of leaders and organizations working together to galvanize an outdoor play movement across Canada. Their mission is to bring together advocates, practitioners, researchers, and partner organizations to promote protect and preserve access to play in nature and the outdoors for all people living in Canada. So the news for this episode is uh, a couple of different pieces of news coming out of the world of hockey. So um, a few months ago, you may remember that the NHL, so the National Hockey League, banned the players' use of of, uh, cause-based jerseys for the following season, so um, starting now in September 2023, this this they they announced this ban a few months ago. So the NHL NHL teams wore special jerseys for for pregame warmups during theme nights um, for previous seasons, and a handful um, handful of these were for you know Pride nights. Um, you're talking about more inclusive communities and trying to get um, you know the, the the world of sport to talk to, to tackle homophobia and transphobia and and make that more and make hockey more inclusive and drive change through hockey um so there you know there's some controversies about it last season but they actually banned it so it's not going to happen this year at all and just um you know on october 10th um more news came out sort of a sort of a follow-up to this to this announcement the nhl have now banned players from using pride tape um so the, the NHL sent a memo to teams last week clarifying what players can and cannot do as part of theme celebrations for the season. Um, so it you know, now includes a ban on the use of rainbow-colored stick tape for Pride Nights. Um, so it's a little unfortunate that, that, um, that they've started you know, clawing back on their, on their social inclusion efforts. You know, they used to have a campaign called Hockey is for Everyone. Um, and I tried to go find that that web page on the NHL website, but it's been taken down. Um, but you know, it was you know the hockey is for everyone was a campaign that uses the game of hockey and the league's global inf- influence to drive positive change and to foster more inclusive communities. Um, so that web page has now been taken down. I I, I can't find it. Um, but it's it's just a little un- it's just a little upsetting because you know obviously. They had they had these different um, things, and you know, you know, by by banning pride tape, by banning by banning pride jerseys, um, it shows that this hockey is for everyone campaign 
um, was maybe not as authentic or as genuine as people may have thought it was originally. Um, so definitely interesting to see some different takes on how leagues are leagues, uh, you know, sport leagues are talking about social issues. The NBA for one is taking a really big lead on this and talking about social justice a lot and, and they're putting a lot of money behind it, um, versus the NHL, which is seeming to step back a little bit. Um, anyways, in, at the same time, um, in September of 2023, some, an updated policy came out of Hockey Canada. So this this is a new dressing room policy, which is slightly related to Pride, uh, you know, Pride Night and LGBTQ inclusion. So Hockey Canada firmly believes that all participants have a right to safe, inclusive, and equitable dressing spaces. In this regard, all participants have the right to utilize the dressing room or appropriate and equivalent dressing environment based on their gender identity, which is religious beliefs, body image concerns, and or other reasons related to their individual needs. So this this new policy is, um, you know, introducing a the the minimum attire rule. So to to promote inclusion and respect of privacy of all participants on the team, Hockey Canada requires all particip- participants to wear minimum attire at all times in a dressing room or dressing environments where more than one participant is present. This means that participants should arrive at the rink wearing a base layer, so shorts, t-shirts, compression shorts shirts or bra or or sports bra sorry and a participant not arriving at the rink wearing one of these base layers can use an appropriate private space um to to change to change into the base layer and then enter the team dressing room with the other participants once they have done so so i think it's a little bit interesting um you know this you know how how we can make hockey more inclusive all obviously these policies help um but changing the whole culture of sport and hockey as a whole um, requires more systems change, and some of these changes from the NHL are are not working towards a more inclusive environment. So that is it for this episode, um, and now we will get back to um, our our talk with Louise. So welcome today to my guest, Louise Delanois, who is the Executive Director for Outdoor Play Canada. Uh, Louise, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about uh, your organization and the work that you're doing. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to have it on. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you to introduce yourself a little bit and uh, tell us a bit more about yourself. Uh, thanks, David. Um, like you mentioned, my name is Louise. I'm the Executive Director of Outdoor Play Canada. Um, where Outdoor Play Canada is a relatively new not-for-profit organization. We're national in scope, and we aim to promote, protect, and preserve access to play in nature and the outdoors for all people living in Canada. Amazing. So um, you mentioned relatively new. How how new of an organization is it? I've heard about it for a little bit, but I'm not not sure the history of the organization entirely, but uh, yeah, for sure. So um, the idea behind Outdoor Play Canada has existed some time. Um, it really came about following the publication of the position statement on active outdoor play that was uh, launched in 2015. That position statement um, brought together a bunch of different individuals, those working within 
research, education, urban planning, uh, policy, government, um, construction, um, safety, uh, insurance, all of these different organizations and different groups of people that um, realized that they had an overlapping interest in outdoor play and recognized that there wasn't a central body to bring them all together and to facilitate um, their communication and their collaboration. And so that led to the eventual launch of Outdoor Play Canada. We were launched as sort of an informal network in September of 2019 at the first Breath of Fresh Air Outdoor Play Summit, um, and um, which we, we just had our third um, biennial Breath of Fresh Air Summit last week, uh, which was very exciting because we were formally, um, we formally uh, became a not-for-profit organization uh, in January of 2023. So while we've existed for some time and the idea behind um, Outdoor Play Canada has existed for some time, uh, our existence as a formal not-for-profit organization has is relatively new. Yeah, wow, that is really, uh, really new. And I, I had, I had no idea that it was all those like different stakeholders that had kind of come together to create that. So that's that's really interesting that to have that, to have that background and have those all those different, um, those you know those those organize those those uh, groups of people involved as sort of this coalition for outdoor play. So I think that's really interesting and really, um, you I guess I want to say unique that um that that we that we were able to have something like that here, um in in Canada. So I guess let's let's start talking about it. So what are the benefits of outdoor play? And so why was it so important for this organization to get started and do, and uh, you know advocate for more active outdoor play? Um, of course, so that position statement that was launched in 2015 highlighted the unequivocal benefits of outdoor play for children's physical, mental, social, emotional, environmental health and well-being. Um, we know that when children are outdoors, they play more, sit less, um, they move more, sit less and play longer. Um, but uh, outdoor play is associated with a number of cardiovascular benefits, improved uh, improved uh, blood pressure levels, improve, improved cholesterol. We see improvements in cardiovascular, cardio, cardiorespiratory fitness and musculoskeletal fitness. Uh, we see that children's ability to manage stress improves, um, their resilience improves, the, the list keeps going on and on. Um, and that's just for children. Um, we saw throughout the pandemic that when children of all ages, when adults um, got outside, similarly, it helps with reducing stress, with um, building stronger connections to the community, um, to, to being more active. And that's all of these things have become more and more important on so many different levels. Now with the influx and the um, over presence of screens, um, really encouraging not just children, but children adult and adults to get outside um, is sort of a, really one of the main ways that we can combat this, uh, all the negative side effects of screen time. You, It's a lot more difficult to use screens outside. Um, when you're outside, you're you know, less likely to be focused and distracted by screens. Um, we see that there's a stronger, you know, stronger connection to the community. 
when you spend more time in your immediate environment, um, which can help with building a sense of uh, connection to the land, which is important for um, you know efforts towards truth and reconciliation, towards um, efforts towards climate change and building environmental stewardship. It's it's amazing. It's it's such a simple notion, and yet there are so many connections to some of the the largest issues in existence today. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I, yeah, I kind of, I, just not, not in context of outdoor play specifically, but kind of the context of like sport and recreation that I was thinking about um, for this podcast and, and other things that I work on, you know, health policy is environmental policy and environmental policy is, you know, uh, housing policy and housing policy is uh, health policy and health policy. Like it's, you know, it's a, sometimes we think about these things in, in silos, but they're really not. And I think we need, yeah, definitely need more, um, things to think about between, uh, you know, it, it, more synergies between them and working between the, the, those different areas more. Um, and yeah, you know, just thinking about going, you know, back to some of the things that you said, I, I definitely, I definitely started getting outside more during the pandemic. Like I was fairly, you know, I was always active, like, you know, I was swimming and, you know, I, I did a lot of things before the pandemic, but I guess the, during the pandemic, I, I really, because a lot of things were closed down that, you know, I couldn't go to the pool. So I really shifted um, back to some of the things that I was doing as a kid, you know, going hiking with my parents and every, every weekend or, um, you know, get, go just going outside in the backyard and playing and things like that. So I, you know, during the pandemic, I really shifted back to sort of that and, and, and getting outside a lot more, um, mm-hmm. which, which I'm interested to know. So I, I, I you know, I, I think during the pandemic, it did shift a little bit more to more outdoor focus on, on uh, physical activity. Um, so I don't know if you've been tracking any, like, uh, you know, statistics, statistics over the last couple of years on, on the state of, uh, uh, outdoor play in Canada, you know, whether it was like, you know, really bad before the pandemic and it got a little bit better. And now it's kind of weaned off a little bit after the pandemic, now that people are back in the office and up and they don't have necessarily the same amount of flexibility and that, that time that working from home all the time, um, offered, um, yeah. Any, any thoughts on the, the state of, outdoor play in Canada right now? Um, a, a lot of thoughts. Um, <laughs> so uh, the pandemic led to an interesting pattern. Um, right before the pandemic, um, the or, well, I guess during the pandemic, but um, published or put together be- right before the pandemic um, was the 2020 participation report card on physical activity for children and youth. So that was launched, I believe, in... Um, uh, in May of 2020, but they, the way the report card works is that it's data, they use the best available data from Canada um, from the last two years. And because the pandemic was such a wrench in physical activity behaviors, um, the research group that I was involved in, in leading that the participation report card, um, we used data from pre-pandemic levels. And what we saw was that, and then sort of cited some changes that we observed from early on early days of the pandemic. Um, but what we saw in that report card was that um, active play was uh, was really low in Canada. We gave um, Canadian children and youth a failing grade in terms of their active um, play behavior, meaning that um, an insufficient number of children and youth were getting outside for a minimum of two hours per day for some form of play. And that includes within schools and then outside of schools. So um, the combination of of playtime in schools and then outside after school, before school, that collectively was just not reaching that target. That was pre-pandemic levels. 
Then we saw in the early stages of the pandemic, um, I'm based in Ottawa, um, uh, and I should mention on the unceded and unsurrendered territories of the, of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg peoples. Um, but early on in the pandemic in Ottawa, we had these just terrible signs that were posted in parks saying that parks were for walkthrough purposes only, mm -hmm. essentially saying that outdoor play was banned. It was not allowed in Ottawa. And similar efforts were being made across Canada. And as you can imagine, that led to a very sharp decline in children and youth and adults getting outside for some form of play and recreation. So we saw a very sharp decline in sort of the early months and we collected data in April of 2020. Once uh, information got out there with this, um, in part through some of our efforts at Outdoor Play Canada and then larger governmental efforts, um, promoting the idea that actually it was not only safe, but important for individuals to get outside for their physical and mental and social um, well-being during the pandemic, we start, started to see a rise in outdoor play activity, um, but that continued to be lower than pre-pandemic levels. So it was low before it got worse, mm -hmm. and even though it started to improve over time, the initial impact of the pandemic had sort of this really dampening effect on outdoor play um, among children and youth. Um, and then the most recent report card that came out, the 2022 participation report card on physical activity for children and youth showed that now we're actually better than we were in the early stages in 2020. So things are improving. Um, which is encouraging. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were worried that some of the, the silver linings of the pandemic, um, you know, had been lost. And we're, it's not great, but it's, but we are from, a, we're no longer a failing grade, we're at a D minus. So <laughs> um, it's not excellent, but it's a bit better. Yeah, uh, I, I, I remember walking through the parks. I was in St. John, New Brunswick at the time at the beginning of the pandemic and walking through parks and just, you know, the playgrounds wrapped with big yellow or big yellow caution tape signs around it. Um, yeah. So I think similar, similar experience for a lot of Canadians um, and a lot of people, other people around the world too, you know, with, with uh, those, that access to outdoor parks and public spaces being severely limited at the beginning. Um but yeah, I guess that's that's encouraging that you know it's gone slightly up since the since the before even before the pandemic. So that's that's encouraging. Um, so I, what I, oh, I'll, I'll just add to that the the it's encouraging that things are getting better. But you know we continue to face some major challenges like you know screens are continuing to be this major barrier to promoting outdoor time, and so um, I, I think it's still a bit of an uphill battle. But definitely for sure. Yeah. And so I was going to ask you, how can we change that? <laughs> like, what are, what are policies that we can do, you know, from whether government or in schools or, um, you know, at, at the workplace, like what, what can we do to get more people active and outdoors and what, how can we, how can we support people in doing that? Yeah, that's uh, the million dollar question. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I think too, um, I have an exercise physiology background, um, and I, I think to some of the sort of, um, environmental, uh, um, interventions that have been put about to try to get people more active and some, you know, typically what we've seen, what's most effective is when you make physical activity, when you make outdoor play, when you make active transportation, the easy choice. So, for example, during my master's degree, um, the building that 
I went into, um, the as soon as you opened the, went through the main doors, the elevator was immediately there. And then to get to the stairs, you had to go around the corner to um, the stairs that were not in full, full sight. Um, and inevitably that meant that even though my lab was on the third floor, um, I always took the elevator because it was the easier choice. Um, then when I went on to, to um, do my PhD, I was at a different building. And as soon as you walk through the, the doors, the stairs were immediately there and you had to walk down a hallway to get to the elevator. And even though my lab was on the fifth floor, I was also in an exercise physiology <laughs> environment and building. Um, I inevitably took the stairs because they were, they felt easier. It felt more convenient. And so I think that's, that's sort of the challenge. How do we make outdoor play? How do we make outdoor recreation and sport mm -hmm. the easy choice? Mm -hmm. I think part of that is um, is building it more into community, um, making it so that it's readily available, um, you know, right outside people's doors. Um, how do we improve access for um, individuals, um, for, for all individuals living in Canada? Um, yeah, how do we make it sort of, how do we make it the easy choice? How do we make it readily accessible? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I've said it before on this podcast, you know, that, that we are actively designing out active living from our lives, right? You know, making elevators and escalators the, the you know, the very obvious choice to get up to another floor, you know, um, you know, even just removing, um, you know, open, you know, are adding in electric doors, uh, you know, sliding doors that open automatically without you even having to open the door anymore. You, you know, obviously there are accessibility issues around that and, you know, having that's important for people who, who need that, but, um, yeah, we, you know, we don't even open the door for ourselves sometimes anymore. So we're, we're really taking out any sort of, uh, you know, physical activity at all in our, in our day-to-day -day lives. And, and, and now, now we're, we're, we are now making physical activity, something that we have to schedule into our days and add it onto our daily agendas rather than, just having it be part of our everyday lives, you know, walking or biking to, to, to work or taking the stairs at work or, um, you know, all those things. And, and often, you know, stairwells are not very nice places to go up and down because they're just like, they're windowless and they're, they're tough. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're supposed to be for emergency exit, you know, emergency exits out of the building. Um, so yeah, they don't make it the attractive choice at all to take the stairs. Um, I know at my, at my office for, for my day job, it's, um, <laughs> very much like that. Um, as well. Um, and, I, and I would say like the same thing goes for, for kids, right? For children and youth, like how do we make those outdoor recreational spaces more attractive to them, more attractive than their phones? You know, we're, we're unfortunately pushing up against a multi-billion dollar um, industry when it comes to screens. Um, but it's amazing. You, uh, um, you know, you, you take a child outside and you, show them water you show them you know uh loose parts and they they can be engaged for hours you just um you need that access and what what has happened a lot in the last sort of few decades especially with playgrounds is um you know making them so safe that they're not interesting anymore um for children and they're sort of there's i i wish um we could provide visuals, but a colleague of mine put up this uh, this hilarious photo um, of a playground where it was um, just like a single seesaw um, surrounded by concrete and then a fence. 
And that, yeah. that was the entire playground. So of course, you know, of course kids aren't going to want to go <laughs> yeah. to that and be outside. Why would they do go to something that's so unappetizing when they have an entire world and connection on their phone? So mm. um, yeah, how do we, how do we mm. make that more interesting and enticing? That's a very interesting question. I, and it made me, I don't know why it kind of made me think of how our right now, our education system and stuff is not necessarily built or designed for encouraging creativity and innovation in, in a sense that's like very imaginative. Like right now it's very, I, I find it's like very by the book, right? You have to know, you have to learn, you have to know your math, you have to know your sciences, which is obviously good. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but it's, it's not, it's not, it's not imaginative and it's not in, in you know, I, I find it's, it's very black and white sometimes. And it's not kind of all those other colors that we can, that we can try to bring into, yeah, our, our, our day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. And we sort of lose that as we grow up, as we grow up, I find. Yeah. And I, um, so we, we just held our breath of fresh air outdoor play summit last week. So I'm mm -hmm. still riding on a bit of a high there. Yeah. And of course we had a ton of educators, um, who are very invested in bringing learning outside. Um, in fact, we had a movie premiere, um, on our, the first night of the summit showcasing efforts of a school in Gatineau who brought all the learning outside during the pandemic and continue to do so. And so, while I think there's a lot of criticism of um, the educational systems in Canada and province to province of being sort of very black and white, I think that there are a lot of educators, excellent educators who are pushing back, who are, um, you know, looking to find ways to engage children of all different abilities, of all different developmental stages. Um, and the outdoors tends to be a big answer to making uh, learning more of a as a systems approach so that you're not learning math in isolation and science and isolation and geography in isolation. When you bring the learning outside, often all of those things are happening at the same time. Um, and often often there's a lot, the, the learning is a little bit more robust. It's more intertwined. It's a little bit more extensive than had you had sort of that more formal education but it takes time right it mm. takes effort to do that um educators are exhausted uh, <laughs> the last three years have been chaotic um i don't i'm not blaming any educator who says like i just can't handle that anymore but or handle anything else but those that who are doing this work um and there are a lot of them in canada doing this work and invested in doing this work and i think that's a really you know positive um mm. positive piece that we should be highlighting okay yeah. So are, are there any specific policies that Outdoor Play Canada is advocating for right now? Like, is there anything that you're really going after because that you think it's a, a really top priority for you? Um, uh, maybe not us specifically, but um, as part of a collaborative. So we've uh, launched a new five-year initiative called the Canadian Centre for Outdoor Play. Um, hopefully it'll go beyond five years, but we have funding uh, for the first five years and this is a collaborative between Outdoor Play Canada, the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario Research Institute, um, Andrew Fleck Children's Services and Algonquin College. And at the center of this initiative is a new um, early childhood education program that will be nature-based. The idea being that currently in Ontario and also every other province in Canada, um, outdoor focused early child education programs are unlicensed because they 
they cannot, the way that licensing um, regulations are organized in every province, entirely outdoor programs do not fall under those regulations. And so they remain unlicensed. And that's a problem because if, it's a, if a program is unlicensed, it's not eligible for subsidy, including the new national $10 a day program, which means that families who would, who can't afford daycare that costs, you know, several thousand dollars a month, um, they can't access these types of programs. And given the robust knowledge we have on the benefits of outdoor learning and play for children starting at an early age, you know, this is an obvious issue to us. And so part of our goal with the Canadian Centre for Outdoor Play, we are, we are running, um, well, Andrew Fleck Children's Services is running and we're part of the, the that collective. They're running a licensed nature-based childcare program, but it's out of a building. So it adheres to licensing restrictions, um, but we're pushing the boundaries on all of the things that make outdoor programs ineligible for licensing. Um, and then we're also, you know, bringing to light some of uh, the things that don't, that aren't sort of, that are somewhat illogical in licensing. So for example, um, the program intentionally created um, their outdoor license space um, to the minimum requirements to show how small, how little um, outdoor space is required, is mandated by these licensing by, by licensing regulations, where the intention is to then take children beyond that. So um, the minimum requirement is, you know, it's essentially the equivalent of a porch. And so when you see that in person, when you see the building, you see the license, the minimum license space of a porch, um, substantially like a fraction of the size of the parking lot, where we, for some reason, prioritize cars over children, mm -hmm. you know, you see how ridiculous it is. And then you see the entire forest that children go beyond to actually do their play and learning, and you see the value. So um, our major, a major goal of the Canadian Centre for Outdoor Play is to push that licensing to, and, and well, to, to challenge it, to show um, how much more and, and that the li that licensing can be, how much more childcare can be for children, for educators, for families, for the community. Um, and actually within our milestones uh, is that we are going to change policy in five years. I didn't want to put it down, but Kim has got <laughs> from uh, Andrew Flex made me put it down. Otherwise we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't strive towards that goal. Yeah, that's amazing. And and I I hope that happens. And, and I mean, just from, you know, talking with you, um, I, you know, obviously, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I totally agree with what you're what you're, with what you're trying to do. And um, yeah, I, I had no idea that there was so much interesting background to licensing for for childcare programs. I, I really had no idea. Um, so that's, that's really fascinating to learn about it. And, and here are some of the struggles um, that, that sort of more outdoor based programs are fighting against um in you know in all, all across the country not just not just one not just in one province so that's that's quite interesting um and and i would add that you know while we're doing this work it we're not it's this not a we're not the pioneers here there are a lot of different groups across canada doing similar work um some far ahead of us some behind us so Cloudberry Forest Nature School, for example, in Newfoundland, um, they've actually been working with their ministry um, to create new licensing, to, to not just adapt outdoor early child education to licensing, but to 
fit licensing to outdoor programs because obviously there are different requirements there are different issues surrounding mm -hmm. safety and timing and that kind of thing um and so they've they are really spearheading this work mm. yeah. okay yeah very interesting well uh louise thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh sharing all that with with us and i think it was super fascinating and very interesting um so i always end with a question um that what do you believe the power of sport is? But I think I'll change it a little bit and ask you what you what do you believe the power the power of play is? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I was I was thinking about this question. Um, and my mind always goes to um. In Norway, uh, Norway it has a dis disproportionate number of um, Olympic medals for their winter games compared to their population, if you compare them to, to other countries. Um, and what they did a couple of decades ago was to change um, their approach to sport and play so that um, there's very little um, competition until I think until the mid-teens. Um, every child is encouraged to try every sport um, and the, the passion is really sort of um, child led and child driven. So, you know, I think sport and play, um, well, if you're doing sport right, in my opinion, it's play. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so, and what we see is it, what has happened in Norway is that they've, it's led to so many people that are really excelling at sport. And, you know, obviously that's not sort of our goal to get top Olympians, but it's reflective of this idea. If you keep play at the center of activity, people will continue to enjoy it. They'll embrace it. Um, and um, they'll carry it with it, carry that passion and that love um, throughout their, their lifetime. And so what is the power of play? I mean, I think, first of all, um, the definition of play that we use is that it's fun. Um, it has to be fun. That's the number one thing. Um, it's typically intrinsically motivated. Um, you know, sometimes it means that a parent is pushing a child at the door and inevitably they end up having fun, whether or not they wanted to go or not. Um, so so what is the power? I mean, I think it's, it's bringing joy in our lives. It's building community it's building connection it is, builds confidence um it helps develop a sense of resilience of um um of problem solving um it there are so many benefits there's so many powers of play um i looked just to the summit that we just had and we incorporated play into the summit we started off with a scavenger hunt um, we had a speed greeting, um, we had morning walks every day, um, you know, there were, um, we had bingo at dinner and I don't know about you, but I've never received so many thank yous, um, <laughs> after a summit. Like if you go to a conference, you're like, yeah, yeah, I learned a lot, but that's not what I was hearing at the end of those three days. It was my heart is full. I've built so many new connections. I had such a lovely time. Um, you know, I'm. I feel rejuvenated. And I think that that's the power of play. Amazing. Well, uh, thank you for coming on the podcast and um, changing your insights and everything that you're that we're working on. I think it was really incredible. And um, I wish Outdoor Canada, Outdoor Play Canada, uh, the best of luck with your, with your mission and, um, you know, working with um, your, the other, your, your mini coalition and to, for advocating for that change for um, uh, getting funding to those outdoor based programs. So, um, 
yeah, thank thank you so much once again. I I, I really appreciate it, and it was a really interesting conversation. And I think it's uh, really timely. Obviously, I think I think we could be talking about this a lot more um, with a lot more people. So thank you. Absolutely, thank you, David. Thank you once again to Louise for coming on the podcast to talk about Outdoor Play Canada and the importance of getting outside and getting active um, at all stages of our life, not just for young people, but for people at any age. So um, I think my key takeaway from this episode is just that we you know, we need more coordination between sectors um, and, and, uh, and in- industries. Um, I think it was really interesting. I was really encouraged by the I guess like the broad coalition of members that um, that, that that was behind this outdoor play Canada movement that, that they're trying to put together. Um, I think it was really interesting that they had so many different uh, backgrounds, and I think that we need you know when we talk about policy um, and our communities, I think we need to take more of that kind of approach. I think we you know it needs to be more holistic. Um, and you know, I, it is kind of funny that, because that, that's the way our society is is sort of thought about, right? Like our in our governments, they're set up in divided departments and ministries. We have the Department of Agriculture, we have the Department of Heritage, we have um, you know all these different ministries, and they're all responsible for their own thing. Um, and yeah, sometimes bridging those gaps is a little bit difficult. And thinking about, oh well, that's not that's not us. That's a different department. Um, but yeah, so we need to bridge that divide a little bit more. But so so yeah, I, th- I think it was really interesting, and I think that's what we need, what we can focus on more. And and you know, SDG seventeen is about building partnerships for the goals, and sport can do that. I think sport is um, you know a really powerful way of bringing people together and creating those partnerships. It can be, it can it can act as that vessel for building those partnerships up, so that we're able to address a whole wide range of issues in our society. So that's, um, that's it for, that's it for me today. Um, thank you so much for listening and we will talk with you next time.